Remember, after you've listened to District Attorney Dan Dow, you're going to want to stay tuned on Saturday, April 29th at 10 a.m. in honor of Cinco de Mayo, lawyer and historian Mike Nolan will explain why this important celebration of Mexico's victory over France is really an American holiday invented in San Luis Obispo County. And at 11 a.m., State Cal Fire Deputy Chief for Fire Planning Scott Witt will explain wildfire mitigation programs and mapping for Slow County with Tony Davis, Public Information Officer for Slow County's Cal Fire. This is Stu Jenkins with Slow County Public Policy and the Law. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We're talking with District Attorney Dan Dow, and we've been talking about Proposition 57 and the way in which, uh, inadvertently, that seems to have resulted in folks who have sex with intoxicated, passed-out people not being considered a violent criminal. Right. And, and, and beyond that, I mean, that's shocking enough that yeah. rape of an intoxicated victim is not considered a violent crime. I mean, every type of rape should be considered violent. If you talk to the victims or the survivors, they would certainly agree. And I, I haven't think, found anybody that disagrees with that. Right, me either. So, um, but the other types of crimes that Prop 57 also inadvertently, uh, I will use that, although it might have been intentional on some people's parts, um, were p- placing a bomb in a church or school was not considered violent. Uh, Good Lord. You know, uh, it, human trafficking of a child for sexual exploitation was not listed on the violent offense list. Uh, domestic violence, in you know, we call it violence, but that's that statute, Penal Code 273.5, yeah. causing a traumatic injury is not considered a violent offense. So the list goes on and on of crimes that were eligible to go to state prison prior to Prop 57 because they were considered serious but they weren't considered violent. And so when 57 passed and said, we're only going to let out the nonviolent people, it was really a, um, I mean, I'd call it a fraud, honestly, on the voters, because the only people left in prison after realignment were violent offenders, serious offenders, which they're all also violent. Well, well, the funny thing is you said that that sex crimes would be... Right, it would be excluded. Would be excluded from being let out of prison, but... Obviously. Well, we believed as as an association, the DAs believed that was all just what the proponents of 57 said. They said Mm -hmm. sex offenders aren't going to be let out early. But you actually read the uh, proposed statutes. We read it and we knew that it would be interpreted in a way that would allow it to apply. And Mm -hmm. within a couple of years of that getting passed, the courts agreed and said, yes, uh, the initiative says nothing in its writing that would exclude sex offenders from getting out early. And so if their offense is a sex offense but not on the violent offense list, they're eligible for early release. Now, mind you, they still have a right to go to a parole hearing and a parole board could deny it. But we're seeing over and over again people that would never have been let out 10 years ago are now being let out with routine by the parole board. So, you know, the parole board is made up of of gubernatorial appointees and, um, you know, and the governor kind of has an agenda. Uh, and from my perspective, I'm not trying to be political, but but he has his own policy agenda, which includes reducing the population in prisons. He's shutting down prisons in California right now. And yet, if you look at our population growth up until maybe the last year or two, um, we've never built higher capacity 
to meet what would just be a straight line growth in prison population. That well, would, and in fact, we're closing, we're closing part of uh, the CMC here right. in the so, county. So I don't, you know, I don't know what people's real pure motives were when, when they wrote Prop 57. I think it's a part of a, uh, an agenda to, um, you know, from what I would perceive as far one side of the aisle that um, sees somehow some social benefit to having less accountability for, uh, for offenders. And, and what, well, I'm, what to, I'm afraid of is... Dan, is, to be fair, yes, we did have one of the highest percentages of our population in our state prison system, much higher than other states and much higher than uh, many other civilized countries. But, um, but uh, adjusting that so that we, um, we aren't committing that sin uh, while making sure that people who do these kinds of uh, heinous crimes uh, are punished and held accountable. Uh, that's, I think, the, the real challenge. And well, I'd like to see the prisons empty be, because people aren't committing offenses and victimizing other people in our in yeah. our community. So to me, That's I think right. that where the change has to happen is is through programs like restorative partners, through through mm -hmm. faith based programs, through community organizations and support for people that are in a track, you know, going the wrong direction, getting lives changed, and so that they're you know they're not likely to commit offenses is where we're going to see the positive reduction of on our prison and jail population because hearts of people have changed into where they're not willing to victimize someone before they're not that desperate anymore to have to go out and do it um, but that, that leads me to one important segue this is yeah. april is crime victims awareness month and so um one of the things i put out um, when we had our event on monday was um through all of these reforms that we're talking about with 47 57 and everything else the legislature is passing about the justice system has been criminal justice reform and the the term that we use to define our system is what i just said right criminal justice system right and when we hear from victims hey why does the system seem to quite frankly to put it bluntly screw me over as a victim why do why does this case take forever why does it keep getting continued why is the guy not really serving all the time that they were told they had to serve after he was convicted they're let, getting let out early um, and my victim advocate routinely formed an answer, and that was, well, you know, they don't call it the victim justice system. We call it the criminal justice system. And when she told me that in, a, in an interview for another job um, within my office, it, a light went on. And I thought, you know, just the language that we use to describe our system, when the legislature and the decision makers are making their changes, they may come from a pure motive side of saying, you know, we need to be more compassionate for those that are accused of crime. And they're not thinking of the effect, the, the other effect of the uh, victims and the survivors of these crimes. It offends these uh, victims that all the attention is being paid on the, on the offender and not the impact on them. So we've coined a new phrase here, and we're trying to get it to catch on. And my association is now starting to pick it up in other counties. We're going to refer to it as the criminal and victim justice system. Every time we talk about the justice system, we're going to say the criminal and victim justice system. And I hope that you, Stu, and I hope other people that are listening to this show will join us in changing our vocabulary because now when we talk about this system, the reforms 
won't just affect the criminal, if you will, or the person committing the offense, but it will also affect the victim, and it will help, I think, better frame our and more accurately frame our discussions when we talk about reforming the system. You know, my dad was an English professor, and he always said, language is thought. It sure is. And so yeah. that's, uh, I think you're making some progress there. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, before you go, I know that uh, the grand jury is some something that you have a lot of uh, connection with. Is are are there opportunities for listeners who might want to serve on the grand jury to apply? Absolutely, um, and I know that we convene around July of every year. I'm not sure where right now at this moment the the selection process is, but if you go to the county website and put in in the search bar, uh, it's slowcounty.ca.gov, and if you put in the search bar grand jury. There's a link there with how you can apply to become a member of the grand jury. The presiding judge of the county is the one responsible for the selection. They have the former grand jurors that convene and they, they interview every one of the applicants and they provide kind of a summary to the uh, presiding judge on mm -hmm. who they recommend be selected. Um, and that's a bit of a thankless job, but such an important job in our community. I would encourage anyone interested in wanting to have good government, good uh, local government, state government that's operating in our community uh, to join that grand jury. They have a very important role to provide reports to the community about where they see um, that there are areas that we could improve on. Um, and maybe they sometimes they're able to identify uh, public integrity issues where they can refer things to my office for us to look at potentially uh, criminally uh, enforcing uh, things that they find out. So I would encourage people to step up and uh, apply to do that. Well, Dan, thank you for coming on the show. I know you have a hard break and you've got to go. Uh, but uh, uh, folks, uh, thanks for listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. You've been listening to District Attorney Dan Dow this morning. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate the ability to be here. Be sure to stay tuned. Commentary for California Restaurant Association versus California. On April 15th, we broadcast a discussion with Saro G. Rizzo, banning construction of natural gas lines to newly constructed buildings.